0: Hello, everyone, and welcome into yet another edition of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. I am your host Anthony Sanfilippo at Anthony Philly on Twitter. Joined as always by Bob Wankel, Crossing Broad's Phillies writer at BW Crossing Broad. Bob, we're at the All Star break. We're at the All Star break, and the Phillies are in first place. And I don't think, as I, no matter what we were, and we were two of the more optimistic people. Uh, who have a podcast or who are in the media or who have any kind of public forum. Um, We were two of the more optimistic people at the beginning of the season with our predictions with the Phillies. And I can say with 100% certainty that neither of us expected them to be in first place at this point in the season.
1: Absolutely not. Um, And I sure as hell didn't think that they would be five and a half games ahead of the Washington Nationals at this point. Um, we had talked about it back in March, and, and I had said about 82, 83 wins, and, and you were a little bit more optimistic. I think you had them at, what, 85, 85. 86? yeah a- Just 85, and yeah. And if the uh, Phillies play 500 baseball for the remainder of this season, uh, they will win 86 games, which is just absolutely, um, it's an incredible jump from last season to this season. Uh, and th- here we are. It's The day of the Home Run Derby, the Phillies are clinging to first place in the National League East, and all eyes are on Matt Klentak and Andy McPhail to see whether or not they will do what is necessary to bolster this lineup by adding Manny Machado. It is the only move, Anthony, that the Phillies can possibly make that is going to satisfy this fan base's appetite for a star in this city. Are you in on Manny Machado?
0: I'm not i know you're not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not in on Manny Machado, and, and at least not now. I'm. I would. I'm going to be. And this is. It's funny. Like you, you're asking me today on July. We're recording July 16th this episode, um, and you're asking me today. Am I in on Manny Machado? And my answer is no on the trade deadline. But you're going to ask me this very same question, regardless if he's if he's actually traded for by the Phillies or by another team. The Brewers and Dodgers seem to be right in the mix on this as well. Um, but you're going to ask me this same question. On November 16th, in four months. And on November 16th, I'm going to give you a very different answer. Because at that point, I'm all in on Manny Machado. I'm all in on giving him the whatever contract you need to give him. John Middleton, go spend all your billions of dollars. I'm in on Manny Machado in November. I'm not in on Manny Machado on July 16th because although I do believe he would improve this lineup... And there's no doubt. I mean, I mean I'd mean, i be an idiot to sit here and tell you that he wouldn't improve the lineup. He will improve the lineup. But will he improve it enough to really make a difference? And that's the question. Does one player, and you hear everybody talking today saying, oh, well, they get on base so many times, and then you have Machado in the lineup, and then he'll finally be able to drive in the runs. What's he going to bat every time somebody gets on base? No, it's not going to happen, and and he's also not superhuman, and he's not going to hit eight hundred. He's gonna he's gonna hit you know 300, 320 whatever. He's in okay, fine, that's good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden the Phillies are going to put up six seven runs a game because you just added Manny Machado. It just doesn't. It's not enough, you know, for me at this point. And and so with that said, I'm not giving up a lot of future, and we'll talk about there. There's talk about out there about what the deal is would be, what the Phillies would have to send to Baltimore. It just seems like too much for me to give up for a two-month rental on a player who, although he's a great player and I want him here for 2019, it's just too much to give up on him without any certainty that he'll be here beyond this year. I just don't see how it helps enough. So that's why I'm not all in on Matty Machado.
1: So a guy that's hitting 315 with a 387 on base percentage, slugging 575. That's a 963 OPS. Guy yep. has 24 home runs and 65 RBI for a terrible Baltimore Orioles team. Yeah. By inserting him into the lineup and presumably replacing Scott Kingery who currently has a 619 OPS, which you're talking now almost a 350 point increase in terms of production by that metric you're telling me that this does not drastically improve the lineup
0: no it does improve the lineup I, I'm not gonna I, I don't want to again I don't want to sit here and sound like you know mr negative Nancy like oh no no matter what you do this team isn't getting any better I'm not saying that at all they're 11 games over 500 I mean they're they're in first place even even though it's only a half a game they are in first place the thing of it is and they've been by the way they've been in first place since July sixth so this is like Nine days—that's a long time. <laughs> we we haven't had especially a team here. Of, yes. yeah, we haven't here. had a it's team like in eternity. first place yes. for that long, right? But uh, um, no. So he would absolutely make the lineup better. But the question is, how much better? How much difference does one player make? You know, over the course of a season, we talk about WAR, right? Wins above replacement, and the 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 MVPs are sometimes seven, eight. Right, I mean, I know Trout has been otherworldly sometimes. Gets, you know, I think at one point he was on pace to be over ten this year. Um, he might still be, for that matter. Um, but I mean, even still, so if you're getting two months out of an MVP caliber player, what are you talking? I mean, think about it for a second. Like, what are you? What are you really talking about for two months out of an MVP caliber player? Three wins.
1: Yeah, if you look at him in a vacuum. If you look at his production in a vacuum. And you have, again, you listen, have no, listen, to. Listen, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that this is a move that they have to make. And we can talk about, and, and I will talk about some of the reasons why I would be a little bit reluctant to do this in a minute. But I will tell you, not only do you bring in Manny Machado and you make your bench presumably stronger, if, if you don't trade J.P. Crawford, if he's still around, Scott Kingery becomes more of a utility guy rather than an everyday player at this point, because it does not look like he's ready for that. And and I think the biggest issue impact that it could potentially have is it definitely will, I think, make this lineup construction a little bit more efficient. And one of the problems that I have is with your boy, Carlos Santana. Fair enough. And I know uh, about the on-base percentage. I know he's third in Major League Baseball uh, with 74 walks behind only Bryce Harper and Mike Trout. I totally understand it. My problem is, is a 209 hitter and a guy that really isn't slugging the ball with a lot of authority, especially as of late, and we'll talk about his July numbers in a second, He's killing this team in the cleanup spot. Uh, I can deal with the 351 on on-base percentage. That's solid. That's that's good. But Carlos Santana, at this point, if this is going to be his game, can't hit cleanup for this team. They need somebody to be able to generate run production, and it's not him. And I know he has 14 home runs, and I know he has an RBI total somewhere in the 40s, but I just don't see a guy that's, that's aggressive enough to consistently drive in runs when it matters. And I think that that's part of the reason that this lineup stagnant. So if you add Manny Machado to the mix here, now hear me out. I go Cesar Hernandez at the leadoff still, but now I'm going to move Carlos Santana out of the four to the two hole. Good high on base guy. Reese Hoskins has power potential. He hasn't showed it in July, but again, high on base percentage. He has the ability to hit the ball out of the yard. Now I protect him with Manny Machado in the four spot And I can live and die with Odubel Herrera, who may hit, I don't know, 20 home runs this year if he continues to be ice cold. Or, hell, he might hit 30 if he gets red hot again, because you just don't know what you're going to get from him day to day, series to series, week to week. To me, that becomes an infinitely more potent lineup. And yes, if you look at War and exclusively his production in a vacuum, it's probably worth two to three wins, which, by the way, may be the difference in this division. But even if we look at it like that, I just think that there's a greater impact that has a trickle-down effect throughout this lineup. And that would be, to me, the biggest reason to go ahead and maybe pull the trigger on this deal. Because you didn't expect to be here. It's hard to be in first place. It's hard to be in first place after 90 games. These kids have showed that they are ahead of schedule. And, yes, they are a flawed team. But, you know, hey, you're here. You haven't been in the postseason for seven years. You have more money than God to spend. So why not do it? And I think that's how a lot of people feel right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, you're not wrong. And, and I was, if, if I'm sitting here, I would probably do the same thing. I would probably say uh, Carlos Santana in the two holes. Well, because he's an on-base guy, and that's where he should be no matter I don't. I, I would put him there regardless if you trade for Manny Machado. I would switch him with Hoskins because he's going to get on base. That said, I can see, I can see an argument to not make that switch. What if, I ta- what if I say to you this, keep Hoskins in the two-hole, and you make the trade for Machado, and now you bat Machado three. Now how are people pitching Reese Hoskins?
1: If Machado's in the three hole and Hoskins is hitting what two at two, uh, yeah, I guess they're going to come after him and, and be pretty aggressive. You know, you're right. not going to want to you're not going to want to mess around to get to Manny Machado. So, sure, that could certainly bolster Hoskins' productivity.
0: Right, and now you bat, and then you keep Santana where he's at at four, and you probably bat Oduble five, Nick Williams six is probably what you would do. Do you see the Phillies doing it that way? Does that help just as much? I don't know. I don't know I, I, like I think Machado should be batting towards the top of a lineup. I mean four fours I, 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 you know me I'm a firm believer that your best player bats third and I've been that way for many years. that's the old school baseball player in me and you I don't get the whole argument that uh, your best hitter should hit two and four I don't I don't get it. your best hitter should hit three and, and that's in my mind in baseball that's how it works. you should have on base guys at one and two and the best hitter hitting three because the goal is is get one, at least one of those two guys on base and then let your best hitter come up with somebody on base to try and drive him in. And that's how I look at it. Um, so I, would, I think that there's an argument that can be made to keep Hoskins at 2 and bat Machado behind him and keep Santana at 4. But you're right. I mean, Carlos Santana needs to hit the ball better. I don't care what it is. I don't care, I don't care if it's singles, doubles, home run. I don't care what he's doing. You can't hit 209. If, if Carlos Santana that's was
1: hit... dead last among all qualified first basemen in the National League. Yeah, it's last. terrible.
0: It's terrible. But it, it, if he was hitting 230, that on-base percentage would probably be in the neighborhood of 375, 380, okay? And then he would be so much more productive. And 230 is not a great batting average either, but that's all he needs to hit. That's all he needs to hit to be to, to be what you need him to be. And he's not there. He's at 209. So, yeah, this is disappointing. I made it... I argued in April, don't worry, he'll come around, he'll come around, don't worry, he'll come around. Then he had a great May and early June, really was turning it around, Went, lifted his average like 40 points, and I was like, "There we go, this is what we're expecting, and since then, he's been awful again. Um, yeah, I, mean, it, I didn't realize how streaky just, he was.
1: The, the numbers kind of just really, uh, they're an indictment of his play. I, there are a lot of people. I feel like that the pro-Carlos Santana take right now is the, I know more about baseball than you do uh, because I don't pay attention to batting average. I feel like that that's the island that some people with Carlos Santana are on right now. And yeah. again, this isn't to say that Carlos Santana isn't a, an important player because if you take him out of this lineup, oh my yeah. God. Because that means that you have Nick Williams and Aaron Altair playing corner outfield right now, and we all know the kind of season that that Aaron Altair is having. And, yes, Reese Hoskins moves back to first base, and perhaps that helps him offensively. I don't necessarily buy that argument, but maybe – But with that said, I mean, you remove a guy that has an OPS in the mid-700s and does get on base the way that Santana does, and and you take that out of the mix right now, who knows where this offense would be? So, yes, he's an important player. And, and yes, I understand what makes him valuable. But he needs to be better than this. And the thing that I look at is – guy's hitting 128 in July. This is supposed to be the time that he heats up. You know, he's a little bit of a late starter. Well, here we are now in the middle of the season. Guy, like I said, 128 in July, zero home runs. His on-base percentage has dropped down to 300, and he's slugging 170 with a 470 OPS. Guy has two extra base hits and 60 plate appearances this month. You cannot have that out of the cleanup spot, and and that's the bottom line. Uh, And so they have to figure out how to get better in this spot, whether it be you know, through his own self-improvement or if they make a, a roster change or switch the lineup or something, but they, they are not going to win baseball games like this moving forward. And, you know, I don't want to have recency bias here, but you look at the way that this past week played out, and I am I'm thrilled. I'm to the moon. If you would have told me back in April this team's going to be 11 games over 500 and in first place at the All-Star break, I would have said, where do I sign up? But you go to Citi Field for four games against a, a bad Mets team, and then you go down to Miami and play in front of 4,000 people all weekend, and you go, what, uh, three and four against those two teams? These are teams that you need to rip off a 5-2 and two record against. I yep. mean, that's, that's what needs to happen. And at the very least, you got to go above 500, win four out of the seven games. They wasted almost two Aaron Nola starts. They were lucky in New York on Monday night in the second game of that doubleheader. Had it not been for Aaron Nola's three-run double they probably don't win that game They wasted his start on Saturday afternoon in which he went six innings only allowed two runs and they wasted a, a Brilliant start by Vince Velasquez uh, on Wednesday night off the DL when he went inning for inning with Jacob deGrom You know and so to lose games like that It's hard to watch this offense right now They have been exceptionally bad lately and, and perhaps are not as poor as they've played recently but you just look at this and you go that guy is a difference making bat he's arguably one of the 5 to 10 best offensive players in all of major league baseball and it's hard you know not to not to want to go for it at this point
0: well sure i mean i always i'm i'm always of the mindset that you go for it right as best as you can but i also am not of the mind to go for it by you know, gi- giving up on a lot of future. And, and the names that have come up, and so there's talk that it's going to be a four-prospect uh, haul if the Phillies do this. Um, uh, there's, I, there are two different reports that we've heard. Um, one that we heard on, uh, on the radio when our, our buddy, in quotes uh, Joe Giglio uh, put out there that uh, a friend of a friend of a friend in Baltimore Mans who he with knows sources yeah I love that he calls says that he has sources when his source which he announced on the radio this is not me doing it you know making something up he announced on the radio that his source is a member of the media who works in Baltimore who is not does not Cover the Orioles, but is tied into somebody who does, and they are telling him that the Phillies are the team that's going to make the trade. Okay, and the then,
1: ultimate, which is the ultimate. Give me credit because I mentioned this on the on the radio on <laughs> Monday. But if they do it, give me credit. But if they don't, well, hey, you know, I, I told you where yeah. I was getting my information from. Don't blame me.
0: Yeah, except for the fact that except for the fact that there's this, uh, which. Uh, failure, to, failure to launch, uh, Mr. Giulio. Uh, Tom Harrigan from MLB reported uh, much earlier uh, than uh, than Joe Giulio uh, that the names that were being looked at by the Orioles, they were scouting. Actually, it wasn't from him. I'm sorry. It was in his story. But Buster Olney tweeted on Saturday that the Orioles were looking at Adonis Medina, who everyone's kind of mentioning is the guy, I guess, that the Orioles really won. He's the Phillies' number two pitching prospect behind Sixto Sanchez. Um, also mentioned uh, Franklin Cologne, who's the Phillies' number seven prospect, uh, outfielder Jalen Ortiz, the 19-year-old power hitter, uh, who's their number five prospect, and uh, middle infielder Archimedes Gamboa, who's the Phillies' number eight prospect. That's a lot to give up. Now, the other name that had come up, um, uh, that the only difference was that Julio's report replaced uh, Cologne with Iniel De Los Santos, who has come up to pitch a couple games for the Phillies, uh, including yesterday's uh, Sunday's game. Um, but otherwise, it was a, a, an identical report to what Buster only had already put out there. Um, so uh, to me, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. If you're giving up four of your top ten prospects, and you're not guaranteed to have the player beyond two months, that's a lot to give up. Now, now, if there's something, look, I, and I would actually, I would wait to judge the trade. I'm not going to be really reactive and if it happens and sit here and say, oh, this is a terrible trade. Because if, in fact, after two months or prior to the end of the season or something, somewhere between now and March of next year, the Phillies figure out a way to re-sign Manny Machado, uh, then I wouldn't have as much of a problem with it. You see what I'm saying? So I, so I would, I would wait. But if the the fact is, if it, they're just going for it because Middleton wants to, go, you know, he's a little bit of a gambler and he wants to win now, and you know, he thinks this will put butts in seats down the stretch and stuff. I'm not I'm not as on board
1: <laughs> All right. so what I hope is that this is a collective decision I hope that this isn't Andy McPhail and Matt Klintak saying we should stay the course let's let's stay measured let's not get crazy here uh, we're not gonna try to you know win a bidding war that's that's not what we want to do if it makes sense for us we'll do it but we're not gonna go outside of, of really our means or what we we should do in this situation and then it's John Middleton saying I, I want I want that place rocking in August and September, and the best way to do it is to get Manny Machado, let's go. I don't care about your your patience anymore. I don't want to stay the course. I want to make this deal. Now, I don't think that that's what's going to happen. But John Middleton has been on on record as, as recently as this past spring training and basically saying that if the Phillies are in position to make a deal, then he will want the general manager to to do it, you know, to push them over the top. Uh, and he had basically made those types of comments in a story that was written by Todd Zalecki that appeared back in February before they uh, went out and got Jake Arietta Now, I, I will say this. Here's my one reservation about adding Manny Machado, and I think that this is basically what you were saying earlier. It To me, yes, it does. It significantly bolsters the lineup. The issue that I have is that bolstering the lineup with one player is not going to be enough to make this team a legitimate contender in the postseason. I know that people are completely dismissing the National League like, oh, it's wide open. It's anybody's. Yes and no. I mean, the, the Los Angeles Dodgers have gotten very hot lately. You watch them play day in, day out. You see the talent. L- and you go, Lately? It's just, yeah, it's just a matter of time, though, before this team pops off. I mean, they're 10 games over 500. The Phillies are still a half game better than them. But, I mean, they, they hit the ball with authority. The back end of that bullpen is scary. Clayton Kershaw starting to get healthier now. That's a scary opponent and the Chicago Cubs are red hot they've taken the lead in the NL Central Uh, Milwaukee's fallen apart lately and the Cubs are asserting themselves so the cream's starting to rise in the National League so this idea well that you know hey the Phillies get Manny Machado they become the front runners in the NL not quite and and part of the reason is because the the bench is just is terrible the bench is absolutely terrible we've talked about it a couple times in recent weeks they have to figure something out it doesn't have to be a blockbuster move maybe it's something as simple as moving kingery to the bench getting crawford back uh, maybe even making a, an acquisition post you know august first maybe that's what they have to do but the bench has to be better and they have to find somebody to add to this bullpen that comes out late and can get lefties out because god knows it's not adam morgan right so the name that has been thrown out there is is Zach Britton, and the Orioles reportedly would like to do separate deals for Machado and Britton. Uh, the thinking is that they'll probably get a better return. But the Phillies are reportedly interested in Britton, and uh, I know that you have some reservations about him. Uh, so d- do you want to get into that real quick? And, and
0: yeah, but, but let me just point out real quick. I mean, you mentioned <laughs> the Dodgers. You know, they were 10 games under 500 in May. They're now 10 games over. They're 20 games over 500 in their last. Fifty-four games or whatever it is. I mean, it's it's insane. I mean, that's that team is in re- is playing some really good baseball. I mean, that's just they're they're going to be tough to beat. And you're right, the Cubs are back at the top, and I'm, I still think Milwaukee is is better than the Phillies right now because their lineup is just so good. So I don't I don't know if that, that's my point. I don't think Machado makes that much of a difference. But let's talk about Zach Britton. Um, if everyone remembers Zach Britton two years ago uh, was considered. Uh, by many to be a guy who should have won the Cy Young Award as the closer for the Orioles in 2016. Yeah, you know, Okay, why? Well, You're going to make a closer, Cy Young? He finished fourth in the voting. Um, he led the majors in saves with 47 that year. Okay. And he had a 0.54 ERA, he had a 0.83 whip. I mean, that's crazy. It's seven and a half base runners <laughs> per nine innings. It was really, really good. Only gave up 38 hits. All year, one home run all year. The guy was lights out, lights out. Then last year, um, he only throws 37 innings because he had an injury. But in those 37 innings that he pitched, all of a sudden the numbers started to come back the other way. He had a 1.5 whip. Okay, His strikeouts, strikeout ratio was down by three strikeouts per nine. His walk ratio was up by two walks per nine, okay? Uh, And then he was rehabbing in the offseason to get back for this season and tore his Achilles and had to have a surgery and missed most of the beginning of the season. He's been back. He's thrown 15 innings, I think, or close to 15 innings. But his whip is only 1.36, which is just, eh, it's okay. He's not giving up hits, so that's a good thing. But the walk ratio is Five and a half walks per nine. He's wild, right? And so the strikeout ratio, is it's better than last year, but it's not as good as the year before. He's only got it back to eight strikeouts per nine inning. I, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I mean, it's a small sample, but if you combine the two years together and with the injuries kind of mixed in, I, I'm, I'm just worried that he's, you know, damaged goods and that if you bring him over here, he's not going to be what you what they hope he's gonna be. And, and I'm worried a little bit too that the Phillies, because of all their connections with Baltimore, that they're falling in love with these guys that they went and got and brought up through their Baltimore system. You know, Machado obviously he's a superstar. But you know, Zach Britton was a guy that was brought was drafted, I believe, by the um uh, by the Orioles, uh, he was a third-round pick in 2006, um, and so that you know, again, these guys were all there for that, and they were part of watching him grow. And he made it to the majors as a starting pitcher in 2011 and 2012. They didn't actually move him to the bullpen until 2014, um, and then you started to see the you know he was good 14 15 16 but not since so and,
1: and i hear you and i understand the concerns <laughs> here but i i look at the three year totals i see that he saved 66 of 69 opportunities yep 170 pitches or several, 170 innings pitched uh, over the last 3 years Uh, opponents hitting 207 against them, 159 ERA, 1.05 whip. It's hard not to like a guy with this type of late-inning experience that's had this much success. And to your point about him this season, he has struggled. You know, he came off the disabled list in June, and his first, uh, you know, six seven appearances were pretty rocky. Uh, he got hit around a, a plus six ERA in that stretch. But in July, in seven games, he's pitched seven innings. He's only allowed three hits, six strikeouts, three walks. So he's still trying to find the command a little bit. But a point eight six WHIP. So you know, base runners aren't getting on. He's thrown seven clean innings and the velocity is up. And, and that's the biggest thing. When he first came back off the disabled list, his average fastball velocity was sitting around 92, 93 miles an hour. Now here we are, we're you know 15 games into to the season now, and he's starting to throw the ball back at 95, 96 miles an hour, and his effectiveness has thus come back as well. So when I look at the big picture, I see this is a guy that can get out left-handed hitters. I mean, he's had a great deal of success uh, against lefties in his career. Um, and when I look at that, he's a guy that's allowing lefties in his career uh, to only hit 222 uh, with a uh, an OPS that's under, oh, geez, it's just, just a shade over 500. So he's a guy that can get out lefties. They don't have that right now. Um, and this is a bullpen that I think really does need a late-inning piece, not just another big arm, but a guy that can handle those situations, and he's proven throughout the years that he can do that. And so do I want them to go nuts? No, is it very possible that they're falling in love with guys that they have some familiarity with? Absolutely, a, a great point by you. But he is—if not Zach Britton—they need somebody with his profile to come in here and, and help bolster the back end of that bullpen. It has yeah. to happen. Yeah.
0: So, and again, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to look at the last two years. Uh, again, you know, last year before the injury, this year after the injury, combined lefties are hitting 250 against him. Last year it was their on base percentage was only 300. This year it's 400. So the walks are, are really what's killing him. But a 250 batting average it's just it's just okay. You know what I'm saying? It's not great. It's not terrible, but it's not great, you know against lefties. So like I have a, I you know I. Yeah. I just wonder
1: what his market is going to be across baseball. Like I just don't know if some team's going to say, well, are they going to look at I- exactly the the arguments that I made on his behalf and say this is a guy that has a lot of ninth inning experience and he's a he's a tough lefty? Are they going to look at that? Or are they going to say this is a guy that's coming? Uh, you know, basically a month removed from coming off an Achilles injury, who hasn't been that successful this year, and also by the way isn't throwing strikes, and he's a free agent at the end of the year. We're not going to get crazy. So I think that this is a situation where if the phillies can take advantage of a soft market then then potentially they they can get this deal done but if baltimore wants to get crazy with it i i, I don't think that they're going to what? i don't think they're going to do it
0: I know, and, and and I agree, but let, let me say this: I think this is. I think Zach Britton is attractive to so many teams. There's other reports out. The Cubs are interested. The Dodgers are interested. Uh, a couple I mean, other teams I think are the interested. Cubs and Dodgers
1: are going to be interested in, in, in pretty much anybody. Anybody, interested.
0: right? They're the same thing. Same as the Phillies. They got money to spend, and they're they're competitive, and they want to win. Right? I get it. Um, but I think that the, I think that the thing of it is, uh, I think the Indians are also interested. It, the bullpens in baseball this year are. so... So volatile <laughs> yeah. all around the sport because of the usage and how they're being used. So the volatility is crazy. So that I think that somebody like Britton, who is limited innings so far because he had the, the the injury, so he's got a little bit more of a fresh arm than most pitchers do at this point, and the fact that he has been successful in the past is a worthwhile gamble. I think that's what teams are looking at and saying, you know what? He's a free agent at the end of the year, even though he's 30 years old and he's not pitched like he used to. He's got he's got more bullets in that arm because he's only thrown 14 innings this year as opposed to these guys who've thrown 40 or 45 you know up up to this point so yeah let's go get him and cross our fingers that he works and if not eh he was a rental anyway so I think that that's why he's attractive to multiple teams including the Phillies.
1: You know it's funny you talk about volatility of bullpens this year. I mean just look at the Phillies, the volatility of the Phillies bullpen. In in June they were they were arguably the worst bullpen in baseball and now this this month they have a, a 2.56 ERA which is like the second best in the NL. So even month to month, week to week <laughs> the performance of, of the Phillies' bullpen has been extraordinarily volatile. So, yeah, you are seeing that all across baseball. And, and that does make this a little bit more difficult to gauge, especially right now when you have to make your move.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. and you're, you're right. And the thing of it is about the Phillies' bullpen is this. they Yeah, they were terrible in June, and they've been better in July. And you sit there and say, oh, they're second best in National League, and it's a 2-5 whatever ERA. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so that's through what ten games in July. They've looked good, and and yeah, you know, I'm not going to rip them. I mean, they've been okay. They haven't been great. They haven't been terrible. They've been okay. Um, <laughs> the fact that the the fact though that they're second best in National League, what does that tell you about bullpens all across baseball? It's just a, I've never seen anything like this before, and we've talked about it off off air, Bob bullpens in baseball anymore you don't know what you're gonna get it's just throw it up in the air and hopefully somebody works today
1: <laughs> yeah, I and mean, there's really a handful of sure things yes you know? and it used to be you're a lot Josh different and your sir anthony dominguez type guys like those are guys that you just say that they're nasty they're gonna get the job done you know more, right. more often than
0: not but outside of those guys yeah i mean it, it is a little bit of a coin flip right and, and it, t- t- tell me i'm crazy. tell me if i'm crazy it didn't, wasn't it just as recently as, I don't know, maybe five years ago even, that bullpens were a lot more reliable? There were more guys who were more reliable in bullpens that it wasn't like this?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. Now, yeah. is as is, is it, is it pertains to the Phillies, though, I just look at it and I say, man, you have Sir Anthony Dominguez. If you continue to get what you've gotten out of Edubre well, Ramos, Pat Neshek, and then you add a guy like Britton to the mix, or you know who well, I would prefer is Brad Hand, but I don't think that that's going to happen. Right? Um, but it, you know if you could pair one dominant left-handed, uh, you know, well he's out a little he's,
0: he's a little bit of a reverse left-handed. I know. By the way. Yeah. He I gets know. out the he gets out yeah, right. He's, he's, really he's well. also very good. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, but you, I just,
1: mean, you just get some somebody that can throw the ball on no. the left side that that you can pair with these these three guys that you have, and, and that's a pretty formidable mix. So. No, you're
0: right, you're right, and I, I'm going to say this. I, I actually, I, you're actually kind of talking me into it a little bit. Um, I still, I still, I still say be cautious on on Britain, but the fact of the matter is that no team. Has a nobody really has a reliable, but maybe the Yankees have a reliable bullpen and the Dodgers. I, I really have a hard time coming up with a third team that I sit there and go, "Oh yeah, that bullpen's really good." Cleveland's gotten better, but they struggled early in the year. We saw it. I mean, we talked about it on this show that they really had a really bad bullpen early. They've kind of come around and been kind of what people expected them to be more recently. But boy, that they have that they have a really first uh, rough first two months. So if nobody really has that lockdown bullpen anymore, and it's, it, it it's funny like as, as much as bullpens have become so paramount in baseball they've also become less important isn't that is that kind of a weird thing to say but it is like you don't expect much out of bullpens anymore you just kind of get you, you just guys are, teams are willing to cross their fingers and hope that whoever they have out there could get a guy or two guys out and we'll just play matchup baseball and it'll work we'll figure it out and that's kind of how baseball do you think
1: is how much of that do you think is just because teams now look at at velocity and big arms out of the pen it's not guys that are savvy and know how to pitch necessarily It's not guys that that really understand and can outthink opposing hitters. It's if you can throw the ball 96 miles an hour or harder, then you're throwing out of the bullpen for us. And and so go get them. And so I think that maybe that's part of the reason that you see volatility. Now, that's just a theory of mine. It's something I've thought for a while. But I'm starting to wonder, like, is that really what it is? And and not only that, because everybody can throw 96, 97 miles an hour out of the bullpen, there really isn't a a whole lot of deviation. There's not a lot of different looks coming out of the pen, especially when you look at the Phillies. It it seems like other than maybe – I don't know, Pat Neshek. I guess he's the one just because there's a different arm angle. But a lot of these guys profile the same way.
0: No, and, and it's funny. Like you, It's funny you mention that because we talked about this off air, oh, I want to say about a month ago, and we never actually brought it onto the air, but you had done some research at the time that I think it was of the, th- that of the 30 fastest pitches thrown this year not one was put in play or not one was a hit something along those lines and so yeah so I mean of course that that's what teams are doing they're they're looking at you know let's just get as many big arms who throw hard and hope that guys can't get around on them I mean it's 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 just such a it's taken so much strategy (laughs) out of the game it's just go out there and throw and then when your arm falls off we'll go to the next guy and hope his arm doesn't fall off I mean it's really what it's become And it's well, sad. And it, it's sad. You but know, then, you know, know what? Doing,
1: you're doing your old man on lawn shaking fist thing, right? I now. am. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. I we am got a Trade doing it. deadline to talk about. We got. We got to talk about <sighs> these prospects that the Phillies are going to part ways with well, when they yeah, but, announce this. Well, when they uh, announce this Machado
0: trade. This are week. You, are you good with any, with moving any of these guys? I let's, mean, I, let's still, talk
1: about this a little bit. Yeah. So um, the one thing that the Phillies have uh, a plenty of is controllable young starting pitching. Um, it, whether that be in the form of Nick Pavetta, Vince Velasquez, Zach Eflin. Aniel De Los Santos, uh, Cole Irvin, Jojo Romero, uh, Adonis Medina, you name it, right? We go on and on. They have seven or eight guys that that legitimately either are middle of the rotation arms right now or project to be mid-rotation to back end of the rotation starting pitchers. So that being said, I don't think that the Phillies – truly believe, oh, that, hey, you know what? Um, All of these guys at some point are going to factor in for us. I mean, you assemble these arms to make a deal like this. So I can deal with with putting Enyel De Los Santos and or Adonis Medina uh, and or, you know, you name it, whoever you want to throw in there. Franklin Colomb. Yeah. So you take a a top-level pitching prospect. That's not Sixto Sanchez. I didn't even mention him. But if you take a top-level top tier pitching prospect out of this organization and then you put a second tier guy in there and then one or two position players, I can probably deal with that. The the guy that I find most interesting, and I know a lot of people like Archimedes Gamboa, and uh, I'd be lying if I told you I knew a ton about him, but one guy that I have followed since they signed him as a 16-year-old is Jalen Ortiz. And Jalen Ortiz probably represents the one true power bat that they have in this organization. When I say that, I mean a guy that, that could potentially project to... 35-plus home runs at the major league level, and he would he would hurt. That would be a painful trade. Now, if you're going to acquire one of arguably, like I said earlier in the show, one of the 5 to 10 best offensive players in all of baseball— the trade is going to have to hurt a little bit. And I do think that Ortiz would hurt. Um, He was a guy that absolutely killed it in the New York Penn League last year. Uh, He had a 961 OPS. He started to find the power stroke a little bit. Um, This year at Lakewood, uh, he's only 19 years old, keep in mind. Average age in that league is about 22. That does matter, especially in A ball. Uh, He has not had as much success in terms of batting average. He's only hitting 238. The OPS is actually just south of 700 right now. But again, he's showing power potential down there. He's a guy that I think within two, three years, could be up in a difference maker at the major league level that that one hurts a little bit so do I want to make this deal do I want to just simply say ah they're just prospects like I'm not the guy that just dismisses prospects as you know guys that probably won't make it oh well and if they do you're getting an all-star back and and maybe you gave up an all-star so what it's not that simple and the, the other thing that you have to keep in mind is maybe they don't make this deal now for Manny Machado right but maybe they make a deal for someone else that they get back that they have control over beyond you know beyond September or October of this year maybe they use a similar type of package to get a guy that's under contract for two to three years that's a difference maker in this lineup maybe next year is the year and they're on the brink of making a a significant deal that totally shifts the dynamic of the 2019 season and now these guys aren't here to make that deal so you also have to look ahead a little bit that way too it's not necessarily do we keep Jalen Ortiz and then one day Jalen Ortiz becomes a Philadelphia Philly and, and is on the wall of fame in 15 years It's you are using resources to get done a deal with a player that you do not know is going to stay here beyond the season. And, And so that does give me pause. I have said for weeks on this show that the Phillies were not going to trade for Manny Machado. It just doesn't seem characteristic of this front office and the message that they've given out but I also don't think that this team found itself or thought it was going to find itself in first place at this point and that does change things and now here I am getting suckered into it and on that on that note The Phillies are going to have a little bit of a perception problem if Manny Machado doesn't come here because I don't think anybody would have been upset with them two, three weeks ago if they didn't get Machado because I think that we've been through the process with the Sixers. I think fans are a little bit more informed about how the economics of baseball works. But now after all of this chatter, all of these reports, all the Ken Rosenthal, John Heyman, Buster Olney tweets – it's going to feel like the air went out of the balloon if the Phillies don't bring in Machado because everything else is going to seem like second place. It may not be the worst thing in the world for this team, but it is going to feel a little bit underwhelming. So it's a really unique dynamic that this team is dealing with now as they decide what to do, and I guess as Baltimore decides what it's going to do. Yeah. Let's see if you can unpack all of that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, I mean, here's, here's my concern. Um, obviously, Medina is a pitcher that's, yeah, that one's going I mean, I think you're, you know you, you, you said Ortiz would hurt, and I don't disagree with you, but Medina is, I mean he's your number two pitching prospect, and the only reason he's number two is because Sixto Sanchez is number one, right? Yeah So you're talking about a guy who's, who you know a lot of people think is going to be a good major league starting pitcher. Um, obviously, you never know he's stolen clear water, he's got a lot long way to go, um, but he's, he's on that trajectory. So I think that hurts a little bit too. But going back to Ortiz, why that one hurts more, and, and, and even to a smaller extent, Archimedes Gamboa, the Phillies don't have position player prospects. None. I no, really we've don't. We've talked
1: about this. We have we, talked, yeah, about we've
0: this. talked about this on the show before. And other than Adam Hazley, who's having a really nice year. And I mean, he's, I really see his nice start year. in Reading. What yes. he's done this week? He's no. hitting 385 in four games for Reading. There's right, hope. two homers. Yeah, no, Haisley And looks That's good. why
1: you draft college hitters that play against elite competition like the ACC. Yeah. Because there's a shorter path to the show, and the production and the, the the projection is much more. Uh, you know, it's much more easy to gauge.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, he was he was at High A for most of the season. Hit three hundred. Uh, not He doesn't have a lot of power. He only had five home runs in, in 330 at-bats. Um, but, yeah, he then gets called. But he gets called up to Reading, plays four games, and he hits two home runs. He's hitting 385 on base uh, 50% of the time. It's I amazing mean, it's really, what Reading
1: will do for your power. Just I ask uh, Reese Hoskins and Dylan Redding, Cousins. And Redding, Cousins and Redding,
0: Redding turns everybody into yeah. a – I mean, like, even Kingery, right? Who, Kingery with his that, home run. Who is
1: that guy? Uh, Darren Ruff. <laughs> Darren Ruff, right? <laughs> babe Ruff. Babe, yeah. babe Ruff. Um,
0: but, uh, but, I mean, other than Hazley, Moniac's having a bad year. Um did uh, hit a home run yesterday, though, Anthony? Yeah. Okay. Great. Roman Quinn is injured and will forever be injured. Cornelius Randolph—he just stinks this year. He's, he can't even get on. Not only is he not hitting, he's getting on base. He does walk a little bit, but he—he he has no nothing more than singles. I mean, he his his slugging percentage is dreadful. D- Dylan Cousins—we've seen that game. We've seen that act, and nothing there. And then where you where you're at? What do you got besides that? I mean, you got a handful of guys like at the, towards the bottom of their prospect rankings, you know, Luis Garcia, not the pitcher, uh, Jonathan Guzman, Nick uh, Nick Maton, you know, Simon Muziati. I mean, that's who you are talking. I mean, these are names that nobody talks about. So these- you
1: know, Alec Bohm, obviously, but <laughs> yeah. the organization, just drafted. Uh, you know, just drafted last month. So. Right, but I'm,
0: so I mean, you you don't know, like you don't know where you're. going. So like, I I have a problem giving up position players. Because you don't have any. Because you don't have any.
1: Well, let, me give you, let me give you one thing, and then I have a question for you. And I, I think that this is going to be an intriguing question, and it's one I don't think that really anybody's asked. So one thing on, on Jalen Ortiz, he was signed as a 16-year-old. The Phillies gave him a $4 million signing bonus, um, and that was the prior regime that made that deal with him. Any concern at all uh, about the, the lack of walks? For Jalen Ortiz. Only 16 walks in 270 plate appearances. He only walked 18 times in 187 plate appearances last season and he walked 17 times in 2016 in the Gulf Coast League in 197 plate appearances. So this is a guy that that doesn't really draw a lot of walks and I just wonder um, do you think that maybe this front office who clearly values on base percentage so much kind of looks at how Ortiz profiles and says well we can teach him that because he's only 19 years old or the power potential is going to be so great that who cares or do you think that they look at that and say he isn't our type of guy and I I just wonder if at all that that's going to factor into their decision uh, that perhaps maybe another organization is going to value Jalen Ortiz more than the Phillies would
0: yeah and that's that's a good point Um, Look, I think that when you trade prospects, there's always something about a prospect that you're willing to give up that makes you worry about that prospect a little bit, right? Even if it's a good prospect, even if you know you've got to move a good prospect to get something back in return, there's always something about that prospect that you sit there and go, "Yeah, yeah, okay, we can we can part with this one because we got a little bit of concern about something." Whatever whatever that something is and we don't really know, right? So, um, I think that that's a real possibility here. That you know maybe the Phillies have seen something there that they're not comfortable with. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I look back at trades that
1: because so much of this is self scouting. It's it's yeah.
0: But 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 you're right. But when you go back, so I'm gonna, I'm going to go back to last time the Phillies were were good. Okay, and they would make trades, and Amaro would make trades back then. Right. What. Were you know Who were the prospects that the Phillies gave up in, in big trades to get players? Kyle Was, did any of, Ray Beck. Right. Did any of them really pan out? I mean, I can't think of any other than maybe the uh, pitcher on the Indians. Um, well, Carlos Carrasco. Carlos Carrasco. And, and it took them a while.
1: It took yeah. him a few years to really work out.
0: Yeah. But uh, really, other than that, I can't think of one pitcher or one player that on all those trades that Amaro made, bringing in Halladay and Cliff Lee twice, yeah, like
1: and Jonathan VR, uh, John Singleton, yeah, Hunter Domingo Pence, and yeah, yeah, and
0: Brad Lidge, all the trades he made, they, these guys didn't really turn into anything. So, you know, uh, t- maybe facing
1: Gillies, that was that was yeah, exactly. One, yeah.
0: So maybe maybe when you're when the Phillies are scouting themselves. And a lot of these guys are still the same scouts, even though Amaro left and, and, and Klintak came in. A lot of their scouts are the same. They didn't make a big overhaul of the scouting. They, they did a little bit, but not a lot. Um, so maybe they, they have an ability to look at their guys and know. Eh, probably not. So maybe that's it. Maybe Jalen Ortiz they look at and say, yeah, he's like Dylan Cousins. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he can go hit some home runs, but he can't. He's going to strike out a lot. Doesn't walk. Doesn't take pitches, and he's not going to ever amount to much as far as a batting average. But so you want to take that chance, Baltimore? You know, you guys love. You guys fall in love with those power hitters. Power hitters who can't, you know, get on base. Sure, go right ahead, take them. You know, I, I that's the one thing, and and so I. I kinda like I'll give the Phillies credit. I mean, and I know it's been a while, but I kinda think that they do a nice job with their farm system and understanding who's who can do what. So I give them I give them some credit.
1: Alright, so now for my question. Uh, yeah. If if you're a little bit reluctant to part ways with Medina, De Los Santos, uh, Ortiz, Gamboa, and these are the names and you say, ah, gee, I don't know. That's a lot. That's a, it lot a lot to give up. Would you be more receptive to simply parting ways with Sixto Sanchez why just why trade four lottery tickets when you could just trade one
0: because he's your best lottery ticket that's do we, why do
1: we really know that you know it's well, funny like so yeah we, we don't we don't
0: but when you when he's got when he's got a scouting grade of a fastball of 70 yeah
1: now <laughs> hear me out I've actually yeah. I, I have seen him pitch live once uh okay and he's extremely impressive um And I'm not I am not implying that that Sixto Sanchez won't be as advertised. I I Will say this though So many people we have created this narrative that he is this, this can't miss he is Pedro Martinez He is a bona fide ace and that very well may prove to be true but so many of the people that are peddling that narrative have never seen Sixto Sanchez throw a pitch. I mean, they haven't right. even looked at his YouTube highlight to see him throw a pitch. You know, so it's, it's like, well, you can't trade Sixto. How many people right now, fans, guys on the radio are saying, can't trade Sixto Sanchez, don't know a damn thing about Sixto Sanchez. No, you're right. Right? You're it's like, abso- isn't right. That, like, you're ab- funny how that just becomes the thing? Like, we're all, we're all scouts all of a sudden, and Sixto Sanchez is just, he's a can't-miss prospect. And you know personally, I would rather trade the other four than trade Sanchez, so I'm not saying that this is what my preference would be, but it is just something to it's just something to think about
0: yeah I'm no saying. i I would rather you know, and there was a lot of talk about Machado or the Orioles being interested in Eflin. like if you're going to go out and now we, there's something you know somebody we haven't even discussed yet um, as part of part of the trade deadline stuff, and we are more than 45 minutes into the show um is one of the talk talk was that the Orioles were interested in Zach Eflin. So would I move Zach Eflin for Manny Machado knowing that the Phillies are also looking at other starting pitchers? And in that case, then you might get me to say yes. Because if you're going to bring in somebody to replace Eflin, and I'm not saying that the guys that they're going to bring in to replace Eflin are – Who you want to have, you know, because they're not long term answers. Eflin's got four years of control, right? I mean, that's a big deal. But, like, I would almost say, okay, you want Zach Eflin, then we're keeping the prospects. And then I'll, I'll fill in that fifth spot in the rotation. I'll, I'll get a guy who can pitch that. And they're talking, you know, Jay Happ from Toronto is a, is a one that Jim Salisbury reported today, uh, bringing him back, even though he's struggled lately. Um, he actually has been a decent starting pitcher. You hear Cole Hamill's name mentioned a lot. You, would you bring Cole back as like a number four guy on, in this rotation kind of thing? Like, I would be okay with that. And giving up, a, 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 you know, and yes, Eflin has been impressive so far this year. And, and something you know. tells
1: me that Baltimore is going to want those younger guys that aren't, aren't up yet, that have a little bit more. Not that Zach Eflin doesn't have upside. I think that we're starting to see that he has a greater upside than we initially thought. I just I have a feeling that they're going to be more interested in the guys like Medina and the unknown quali- you know, Well, okay. So, uh,
0: all right. Fine. Fair enough. Well, what, if you, what if Eflin replaces two of those prospects then? What if then? The, what if then the trade is you let you hold on to maybe you hold on to Medina and Ortiz and you trade, Eflin, Cologne, and Gamboa. I mean, it, do, it's you, something you, to think about. I mean, do I, you, you know, do it that way? I, I haven't really considered it
1: and looked at it enough to say so. I mean, I, I would be reluctant to subtract from the major league roster right now, and I know that that's
0: but obviously uh, it's part and parcel with adding sure, another major league player. Sure. Right, yeah. I mean, it's got to go hand in hand.
1: And for those of you that haven't heard, because I guess this is a relatively new report. Uh, although by the time we air tomorrow morning, I'm sure, sure that this will kind of make the rounds a little bit more than it, than it has at this point. But uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia's Jim Salisbury reports that the Phillies have some interest in uh, the Blue Jays' Jay Hap, like Anthony was mentioning. And hap this season is an All Star. He's ten and six with a four two nine ERA, one one nine WHIP. Um, very good against left-handed hitters this season. They're only hitting 177 against them with a 510 OPS. So the Phillies don't have a left-handed starter. You're talking about a guy that's been around the block. He has playoff experience. He's, he's been in the league for a while. Um, One potential red flag on him, though, Uh, he has a 6.84 ERA uh, with a 5.80 FIP and a 1.59 whip over his last five starts. So he's really struggled um, from the end of June through the All-Star break. And so, again, a guy that will be a free agent, he's up there in years, probably not a long-term answer for this team beyond this season. Uh, And you have to really kind of weigh out if Zach Eflin's not involved in any other deal, uh, is Jay Happ an upgrade over Vince Velasquez, Nick Pavetta, or Zach Eflin? Um, and, and maybe he's not, but if he's cheap enough, you, perhaps you bring him in here. Or he's an insurance policy. Maybe that gives you a little bit more flexibility with a guy like Velasquez. If you do want to try to try him in the bullpen, especially when you get to the postseason, it does give you some more options. It's something to think about. I, let know, me, let me,
0: just to tell you, though, I mean, you, you mentioned his last five starts with those terrible numbers, right? um four of those five starts were against atlantic houston the yankees and boston <laughs> well guess what the whole
1: reason that you're acquiring the guy no, is to no, pitch don't. against playoff no. caliber teams and so if I, he's not I, doing it against playoff caliber teams then i don't want the guy
0: no i hear you but and, and if you really if you go back i mean it's really only the last three games i mean the, the atlanta start yeah he gave up four runs but he did pitch eight and a third mm-hmm. um and they and he did get the win uh, the Houston game, he uh, was a quality start. Six innings, three runs against Houston, which is pretty good, right? And he got the win there as well. It was a, a, a terrible start against Detroit, which actually is the one that I didn't mention. Uh, it, Detroit's not a good team, but he gave up seven runs in five and two-thirds. The Yankees bombed him. <laughs> gave up six runs in two and, two and two-thirds.
1: Yankees do that to a lot of teams, huh? Yeah.
0: Um, and Boston, it's an interesting one. Uh, they pulled him after three and two-thirds, and he gave up five runs, but none were earned. Okay. So, uh, so I mean that's the, that's another thing there. So I mean, look, I'm not trying to defend J. Happ. I'm not trying to say that that go go nah, get I him. I didn't go know that him. you go were the
1: uh, president of the J. Happ fan club. Anthony. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really not. Fired I'm really up not. for J. Happ?
0: No, I'm not. I would if I was picking between him and Hamels as the lefty to go get, I'd go get Hamels. And Hamels hasn't pitched well either. Um, but I just I just think that I I like that I like Hamels. If you're making a push for the playoffs, I like Hamels. Experience better than I like Hap's experience right. in that regard. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, it, it, yes, his numbers have not been great in his last five starts, but he is two. He did get two wins. They weren't bad starts. And then he just got hammered in two games where, you know, and it, it, it just was what it was. I mean, so I, I'm, not, I'm not killing the guy just yet. He actually pitched a pretty good game against the Phillies, if you remember, back in May. Um, sure did. Yep. Got a win. Got a win in that game. Only gave up. We uh, gave up six hits, but um, six and two thirds. Only gave up two runs. Uh, two earned runs. So it was. A, that was a nice start. Hundred pitches. <laughs> Having a guy, good start
1: against this Phillies offense does. Uh, absolutely <laughs> yeah, no, nothing it for me. <laughs> no, <but laughs> Meaningless he throws. He,
0: throw, he throws. a hundred pitches a game. I mean, if you look at it, he's he's right around a hundred almost every game. So, um, he gives you a little bit of length. It depends. Again, I don't think is going to get a lot for him because he's a free agent at the end of the year and he's 35 years old. So, you know, if it's a song and you're trading for him, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that.
1: Ah, I, I hear you. Um, all right, so it'll be interesting to, to see what happens, and I hope that we can record. If, if in fact, they do make one of these um, trades that just totally alters the landscape of the National League, uh, we'll, we'll try to hop back on when that happens and, and do a separate show just to react to those trades. But... um just to kind of move on here, a couple things that that uh, I, I wanted to talk about real quick. Um, over the weekend, the Phillies, it was it was a rough go for the Phils in in Miami. And um, what we saw on Saturday was a ball hit down the third baseline, which Michael Franco went to his backhand. Uh, he thought it was a foul ball. He jumped in the air, didn't make a throw, and then he spun and flipped the ball into the stands, uh, and it was scored a two base error. Uh, you know. Is that an honest mistake or is that an an indication of a lack of concentration? And I only really bring that up. It would have just been an isolated, funny moment. But when you look at that paired with what happened in the fifth inning of yesterday's debacle against the Marlins in which they put up eight runs uh, on the way to winning the series against the Phillies, Carlos Santana uh, with runners, I guess it was on first and second, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken, ground ball to Santana uh, rather than going to second base to get a force out and perhaps start a double play. Santana gloves it, trots over to first, puts his head down because he thought that there was only, uh, or that he thought that there was two outs. Uh, it extended the inning. It was 5-4 at that point, and then as we know, Phillies couldn't hold the lead and then go on to lose the game. Gabe Kapler, after the game, kind of said, you know, nobody's more focused and cares more than, than Carlos Santana, so I'm going to give him a pass. Uh, should Gabe Kapler be giving these guys a pass
0: no and not, and not Santana Franco's doesn't bother me as much I think that's just a I think that's just a reaction play I think that he I, you know yeah he should he be thinking about it yeah probably but I think that that's more of you're, you're just you just react right it's it's make the play and react and I think so that one doesn't bother me as much the the Santana one does bother me I I, I can't in any facet think of a time when you don't know what the situation is in baseball. I mean, that's 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 basic. Like you always should know.
1: Yeah, and in a one-run game
0: with the and go-ahead run on
1: first base,
0: yeah. especially you've got to. Talk. There's conversations happening between innings, right? I mean, that that talk is happening, or between pitches rather. That talk is happening at all times. Where are you going? Where who's got this? I got you at second. Blah blah blah. And, like everybody knows, and like to just zone out. I I don't understand it. Like I. <laughs> you know, you're a multi-million dollar professional athlete and you don't know, you know, what the situation is in baseball, like, you know, how many outs there are. And that's I'm not certain he would have turned the double play. If yeah, he and he a second. said
1: that he didn't think he'd be able to. And Kapler said, I don't know or I don't think that he would have been able to. It, it would have been close, but it certainly would have been a play.
0: Either way, you get the lead runner. Even if you don't turn a double play, yeah. you get the lead and then runner and keep
1: the uh, go ahead run out of scoring position. Now exactly. I know Ramos came on and ended up walking uh, yeah. the the next batter on a on a questionable ball four, which I thought was probably strike three.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: so I know he ended up loading the bases anyway. But again, if that doesn't happen the way that it did, that inning may have had a, a completely different look about it. You just you never know. Um, I don't really have an issue with what Kapler told the press after the game. I know that people, like when you listen to Sports Talk Radio, I had WIP on for a couple minutes today, just taking in the conversation. My my theory was if people weren't upset about Carlos Santana's 209 batting average, this is going to be the turning point. This is where fans are going to start to lose their patience with him. And sure enough, uh, that, that did seem to be the case. I don't need Gabe Kapler to come out and bury Carlos Santana to, to reporters, but I, I do hope... Maybe not even a benching. I don't know. Some some managers would do that. I don't even know that I need Gabe Kapler to bench him. But I do hope that some conversation took place in private, which was, yo, that was that was bullshit. That was weak. We we can't have yeah. that. You know that killed us. That can't happen again. And if it does, then I'm going to handle this a little bit differently. I think yeah. that that better have been the conversation. That that I hope is how that was handled. Because if he just patted him on the rear end and said no big deal, then I then I do have a little bit of a concern with that.
0: Uh, <laughs> you, you and I are, are of the same on mindset one, there. We, we definitely align on that one. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think I worry about that maybe a little bit more than you do. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it can't happen in a game at any point. Like I don't, you know, I, it doesn't bother me when a guy doesn't run out of play. I mean, I, there was a big news out of Washington that Bryce Harper got a talking to because he jogged on a ground ball the other night. Um, and the fact is, is that you know he's hitting two thirteen himself, and you know not really pushing it hard. Um, that one doesn't bother me as much. I mean, yeah, do I want to see every guy bust it down the line? Because you never know what's going to happen on a play. Yeah, I do. But I, you know, it is a long season. I get the sense that you know, sometimes frustration gets the better of you, and you just kind of you know mail it in when you think you have you know an easy ground out or a pop up or whatever the case might be. So that one doesn't bother me as much as not knowing the situation. That bo- that's what bothers me. That means that you're not thinking about the game as it's happening, and I don't know. I just think of my think of myself and say to myself, say if I was him, I would know everything. Like I would know what everybody's job is and who's going to be where. Like I would know every other person's responsibility, not just mine, because that's the kind of competitive drive that I know I personally have. Obviously, I don't have the athletic ability to do it, but at the same time, because you're you know, sitting
1: here talking to me,
0: <laughs> right? am right. But the fact of the matter is, is that you know just just knowing that you know how i how i would be i i don't understand i don't see it i don't i don't know i just i don't get it I, it's an i don't get it
1: so but. one thing i want to do here um and we were going to get into like the the biggest disappointment best surprise and all that stuff and i'm looking up and i see that we're an hour into this thing and i kind of want to i want to push through this one thing i want to start doing i i dig out a lot of numbers and i look up a lot of stuff and sometimes it just we don't get to it in the course of conversation. So I have three quick things, and, and if you want to react to them, or if not, I'll just go right down the list. But here are three things I didn't get to. Um, yeah, Jorge Alfaro has eight pass balls this season, and <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Knapp has five. So the Phillies have 13 yeah. combined pass balls in uh, th- this season, and it's the most in Major League Baseball. And I, I only mention this because I've, I watch these games day in, day out, and if you are watching them as well, you've probably noticed that the Phillies catchers don't – It's not about framing. It's not about throwing out base runners. They don't catch the baseball. Uh, They are absolutely terrible at receiving the baseball. And so I took it upon myself yesterday to look that up, and lo and behold, they are, in fact, awful at catching the baseball. Um, And they also, I believe, are second in the National League in wild pitches as well, Uh, which, you know, a lot of times they're 50-50 calls. So, Mm -hmm. you know, any reaction to that at all?
0: I think it's I think it's embarrassment that you can't catch (laughs) I mean it really is I mean you should not have pass balls I mean wild pitches is one thing pitchers throw wild and catchers I don't you know whatever they can try and block it all they want but a pass ball basically is saying to you the pitchers thrown a ball that you should catch and you just missed it Like, yeah. they can't, you can't have that happen 13 times in 95 games. Yeah. That's insanity. And, and the exact and, numbers. I mean, they got to be on pace for, what, 22, 23? That must be close to a modern record. I mean, I'd probably back in the olden days, it probably happened a lot more. But... I, I can't think of anybody in recent times who would be that bad.
1: Yeah, and the number is 48 wild pitches, which is the second most in the national yeah, league. Yeah, that's
0: that's so, not good. That, yeah. and that's a, that's an a, that's an abomination. And I, well. I think
1: it kind of, and I know that Andrew Knapp has uh, been a little bit better offensively lately, right? And uh, we spent some time burying him earlier in the year. But okay. I, I think that this kind of certainly demonstrates that they, they need to uh, going into next season. Find a defensive-minded backup catcher. I think that that actually is a, a sneaky, under-the-radar priority. Um, yes. I love Jorge Alfaro's athleticism. You, you see that he has tremendous power, even though it does kind of come in waves. Um, and the arm is fantastic. But uh, he needs to continue to improve defensively, and he may. You know, he's still young, um, but they, I think if that's going to be who they trot out as their starting catcher, then they need to get significantly better um, you know, in terms of a backup in defense uh, at that position. And, And keep in mind, Andrew Knapp, five pass balls. I mean, it's not like the guys caught a ton of innings this season. No. um so you know it's it's pretty rough uh second one I know you're going to love this uh sports info solutions uh, oh my they, favorite my yeah, favorite people yeah those are that's your those are your people uh they uh, put a tweet out today that the Phillies are uh, the worst in the national League in terms of defensive runs saved uh this season with negative 74 uh, <laughs> defensive runs saved the next worst team in the national League uh, is the Pittsburgh Pirates who have negative Negative 55 defensive runs saved. So the Phillies have been, by that metric and their calculations, 19 runs worse uh, than any other team in the NL this year defensively. Any yeah,
0: reaction I, I, to that? I, I, yeah, I'm going to take it another step further. Uh, the only two Phillies on the positive side of the ledger in defensive runs saved are Dylan Cousins and Yesmuel Valentin, who have combined for 12 starts. <sighs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: terrible. So you're telling That's me that uh,
1: you're me that Reese Hoskins isn't navigating left field. Uh, by the way, like a hawk.
0: You know how on Baseball Reference they list the top twelve players by war yes. for each team when you when you bring up the team's page. Reese Hoskins isn't in the top twelve for the Phillies this year.
1: Is that because he's not qualified? Because he was on the disabled list, perhaps, or is, is uh,
0: uh, that's a great question? I'm going to click on his name. I'm going to go to his name, and I'm going to click on it and see what his current WAR is. For and while you do that, uh, I will tell no you his he, WAR. He, his current WAR is minus zero point two. <laughs> oh,
1: man, that let you that let you know just how awful he's been defensively. Um, yeah. Looking at fan graphs earlier, he's negative sixteen defensive runs saved uh, according yeah. to Fangraphs. So um, Reese Hoskins actually was my third point. Um, I know that we talk about Oduble Herrera's inconsistencies, and, and we've spent some time talking about Carlos Santana and his struggles, especially in July. Another guy that's having a very, very rough July uh, is Reese Hoskins, and uh, he's hitting 252 for the season, eight nineteen OPS. That's all fine and well, 14 homers, and he is going to be in the Home Run Derby. Uh, at the time of this recording, we don't know how he's going to perform in the Home Run Derby. I know that you have a concern about that, uh, which you can touch on in a second, but uh, any concern to the fact that he's hitting 232 in July with a 580 OPS, only slugging 268? He has no home runs in his last 15 games and only two doubles during that time frame. Uh, you, you pair his production or lack of it with Carlos Santana's in the four hole, and it's not hard to figure out why this Phillies offense isn't getting it done right now. Um, do you have any concern about Reese Hoskins? I, I know that the perception of him is that he's this. He's a young, promising stud power hitter, but he's gone into some pretty prolonged slumps now a couple different times this season.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm getting concerned that he's streaky. Um, overall, I can't complain, right? I mean... He's got 14 home runs. He's driving in runs. He's getting on base. 363 is a really good on base percentage. Uh, eight, like you mentioned, 819 OPS. You know, I, I 252 is not a terrible batting average for a power hitter. It's okay. I mean, I'd like it to be a little bit higher, but that's not bad. So, I mean, I'm not overall. I've I've got to be a little bit happy with with where Hoskins is at this juncture. But I don't like the fact that he is streaky, and and we're seeing that. There's too many guys in this lineup. That are streaky, and you know Herrera is one, obviously, um, and Hoskins is another. Um, so that's concerning me a little bit. And he's a he's a butcher in the outfield. I mean, he's terrible in the outfield. It, it, it's it's a it's a real conundrum because you're going to get to a point where it's like, okay, do we? You know, as we're going down the stretch, like they're going to be in one-run games and they're chasing the division, and and Gabe's going to have to make a decision. Am I taking Reese Hoskins out of the lineup to put a better defensive outfielder in for the end of a game? In a one-run game, and all of a sudden the other team ties it. and Now you've lost Hoskins in the lineup. Like, it's that bad, that and it's be, it's it's concerning. That
1: would maybe be Aaron Altair's saving grace at this point. You know, I, I'm yeah. at the point where I think that they may need to, to to get him off the major league roster. Whether that be parting ways with him entirely, he ends up in Lehigh, whatever. But I do think you used to see the Phillies do this all the time with Pat Burrell. Uh, I think that they're they're heading down that that line with him right now. Yeah. Um, and, and that that's the shame of, of Roman Quinn, right? Yeah. Like, the, the guy just can't stay healthy because he would be perfect. He would be well, a perfect complement to, to this roster. That's this
0: I mean that's a possibility. I mean, he's not completely shut down for the year, right? right. I mean, so I mean, there's a chance that he comes back here and, and you know, it, it, was, it was a finger injury, I think, that he had. Um, so I, I think it's something that, you know, maybe if he gets back and get, starts playing well again, you consider him as that option. If you call him up in September 1st and then, you know, give him some, give him some at bats and see how he f- looks and say, okay, well, yeah, maybe he becomes the guy that we go with as the fifth outfielder in the playoffs yeah, as opposed he, uh, to Altair. he
1: tore a ligament in his, uh, middle finger in his right hand. Uh, the team said he would be out six to eight weeks and that was back at the end of May. So, uh. I guess you will see him probably as as we get to August or so.
0: Yeah, so I mean that's the thing. I mean, so I'm I'm kind of thinking that that's a possibility. Um, or they could just yeah.
1: go outside the organization and, and potentially add that way as well. I mean, that's yeah. that's also a possibility. Um, well, I
0: mean, they you can see they try to improve the bench by calling up freaking Trevor Plouffe, right? Yeah. I mean, which
1: which is an upgrade. Which is it sad is to say. I mean, it's a it's a clear upgrade. Um, I just don't know if it's enough. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your, your concern with Reese Hoskins uh, participating in the Home Run Derby? Well, that was, my I, I, one, that
0: was my one last thing. Oh,
1: it is. Okay. Well, then let's just get yeah. right into it because that was my last point on, uh, you know, that last thing I had with Hoskins was was my final point. So um, let, let's talk about it. Reese Hoskins participating in the Home Run Derby. I, I got to tell you, I, I don't care about this at all. Um, I respect that the Home Run Derby is like the one cool thing that Major League Baseball does. Uh, I know that they've reformatted it in recent years with the head-to-head component and all that stuff. Um, I don't care about this. I will watch it because I have no, nothing better to do with my time. Uh, but I, I know you're a little bit concerned about Reese Hoskins participating in this. So why don't you break it down for us? Well,
0: first of all, I hate the home run derby. I hate it. I think it's. I think it's. It's. I think it's silly. I think it's the. Con- did you think the, that
1: when it was like Bonds and Griffey at the vet? Yeah, and I've, like I've never liked Maguire mashing balls on on the highway over the Green Monster in '99 in Boston. Like, because I, I used to love it. Then again, I used to be 14 years old. So yeah,
0: I don't. I just don't like it. I just don't. I think it's kind. Con- I would much, in all honesty, I'd rather watch the celebrity softball game because I think it's funny and it's it's hysterical. And you watch that stuff. Like, I'd rather watch that than watch a home run derby. Like, I really do. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just weird. like, you Jenny know what? Finch.
1: It's because you like it, Jenny Finch, right?
0: Yeah, right. You know, you know, you know what would impress me more? L- let's have a contest to see who can hit the ball the other way. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That, that would impress me more yeah. because guys can't do that guys can hit home runs nobody can hit the ball the other way
1: set up a comb between <laughs> first and uh maybe the hole and second and just see if they can shoot the ball through
0: <laughs> it's yeah. all just see, get get it through yeah, you'd be right? in your glory yeah <laughs> being no, like,
1: a power hitter can bump the ball down the third baseline
0: <laughs> a budding competition yeah. yes absolutely no i but my concern for hoskins is this every year at the home run derby Somebody does great, you know, hits a 600 home runs, and, oh, my God, did you see how far he hit them? And, oh, my God, how many he hit? It's unbelievable. And I remember back when, you know, Bobby Abreu did it for the Phillies. Like, it was kind of a surprise. Like, nobody expected him to win, and then he went off. I think he hit, like, 28 in one round or some ridiculous number. Um, and then he came back off the home run derby, and he couldn't hit. And he wasn't the only one. I mean, this is, this is every year. I mean, even last year, Aaron Judge came off the winning the home run derby and was terrible for the Yankees for two months. Yeah, terrible. He, he really didn't start hitting struggled. it until September. And, and it's all because it's bad enough that these guys have the changed their swing to the swing with the launch angle to try and hit more home runs. All right, So that's bad enough, leading to more strikeouts in baseball. But now they're going to really go extreme. Because now you, you can't rely on the velocity of the pitch coming in. Because that a lot of it, the launch angle, ties into the fact that guys throw hard in Major League Baseball. You're now hitting BP pitches. So you really have to really change the angle to drive it deep enough you know and hit it, hit it with enough arc to get it out of the park for this home run derby. And not only are you doing it once, but you're doing it potentially 30, 40, 50 swings. I think it takes takes you out of your rhythm it takes you out of your out of your swing and it could really have a negative impact i can't really think and in, in all honesty bob i mean we'd have to go back and look i mean I, you know i don't know exactly but i can't really think of any uh guy who won the home run derby and then came back came out of the all-star break on fire i just i just can't yeah, think of one i
1: don't know and i mean maybe it happens and it just doesn't fit the narrative uh of this and so you don't hear about it but i will say as you're talking i looked up aaron judge uh in the month after the All Star game. Um, he, in his following 27 games, he went to the plate for 93 at bats and he struck out 43 times. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, he hit 161 in his uh, next 118 plate appearances. So, and that was a month span off the home run derby. So there is something to be said for it. Like you said, Abreu Obre- back in the day uh, had a huge issue with it post All Star break, uh, and then certainly Judge, a very popular case of this as well. The, the only thing I guess I would say is uh, I would share your concern, but can Reese Hoskins really be? And, and I, I kind of sound like, I don't want to sound like a jerk, and I'm not trying to sound snarky as I say this, but can Reese Hoskins really be worse than he's been in the two weeks leading up to the All-Star game? I almost feel like that, if, if anything, uh, it, it can't hurt at this point. That, that would be my only response as, as, as it pertains to Hoskins.
0: I mean, I guess it's I guess it's potentially possible. I mean, uh,
1: can you? I would love to know. Speaking of, you know, looking at historically, who was the last guy to to participate in the home run derby that didn't homer in his last fifteen games leading up to the event? <laughs> I mean, I know that there have been lesser names, probably some that are participating this year that that are that have been in the Home Run Derby, you know. but my God, uh, i tell you what, if I was a casual fan, like if I were a Cleveland Indians fan right now, I'd say Reese Hoskins. Isn't yeah. that the guy that had three really good weeks uh, when he came up in August of last year? I can't believe this guy's in the Home Run Derby. I mean, I like Reese Hoskins. I think he's a, a fine baseball player. I don't mean to sound like a jerk here, but – uh, I, I don't know. I mean, Reese Hoskins and Home Run Derby. I, that's just, he,
0: uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know where, how he gets in. I guess I guess he gets in because a lot of the big names didn't want to do it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I, now I get, I know just to, just to show that I'm fair. I went back and looked at Sta- cause Stanton won the all uh, Home Run Derby uh, in 2016. Um, I think that was in Miami too. Wasn't it? I think that's where it was. I think it was in his home park at the time. <laughs> and in the month after, the All Star Break, he was okay. He hit 275, um, but he only had five home runs. Did strike out 24 times, um, but that that's not a ton. Um, it was, but he's not a big. Sh- so he's he doesn't really have that launch angle swing, right? I mean, his swing is a little bit more of a. It's a little bit more of a line drive kind of thing. Yeah, you know. Um. So he was the he. You know, he did it in. Uh, but I mean, God, I mean, you look at some of the home run derby winners. Todd Frazier, the guy can't—he doesn't hit for average ever. <laughs> and I can't, and I think twice he was in, in the final of the of the home run derby. Um, Josh Hamilton, uh, yeah. Robbie Cano—I mean, I, he, I guess he was okay afterwards. Um, but I mean, yeah, it's—I just, I just don't like it. I think that the home run derby, and there's a reason guys don't want to do it. Uh, after after they do it then there's a reason they don't want to do it in following years subsequent years and I think it's it ties into the fact that it messes with their swing and so I think it's something that should just go away
1: uh, yeah I, I don't disagree with you uh, I know that for a sport though that is struggling with ratings and trying to connect with young people they're going the, the home run derby's probably not going anywhere anytime soon you know. Um, uh, Hey, look, you know, we did, well, you, we did you, pretty well here with yeah. This, this. Yeah, week. we did an hour 15 with even with all this trade talk. actually, I'll be honest with you. I, I feel like we've been going for like two hours. So the time kind of, I don't know. I just feel like we talked about a lot here. Maybe we spoke quickly today. Um, I don't know what your schedule looks like the rest of the week, Anthony, but it sounds like we may have to reconvene for a possible trade uh, yeah, or, I'm, yeah. or if Manny Machado is playing for the Brewers come, uh, this weekend, we might have to, uh, do a, a therapy session or something like that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's a, I've, even if he, if he ends up somewhere else, I'm not, you're not going to hear me be all upset about it. I mean, I, I just don't, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me right now. Just right now. But in November, if they you know don't get him then and he goes somewhere else, then uh, then you might need a therapy session from me. But right, no, I, I wouldn't be upset if he ended up somewhere else. I
1: just I just have this feeling that like this is the guy they had circled for for two years, and and now they're starting to see how this thing's going to play out, and they go, you know what, we have to take the necessary measures to to do everything we can to ensure that he comes here, and and it is probably going to come down to being the highest bidder. But I think the Phillies by trading for Manny Machado are prepared to be the, the highest bidder in whatever auction he conducts come this winter. I, I think you almost have to be. By committing to this trade, if, if they do it and they, they, they go through with it and they part with three or four major top 10, 15 prospects, I, I think it's basically an a that we're going to give him more money than anybody else, even if it gets crazy uh, once this winter rolls around. Yeah.
0: No. I. I, I yeah. <laughs> You're right.
1: Whether I mean, whether or not you want them to do that, I. You know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: no. Exactly. Exactly. No. I. I mean. Look. We'll. We'll. Uh, we'll monitor it. I mean. We'll keep a close eye on it, and you know. We'll see if. Uh, you know. Julio's friends of a friend of a friend knows what he's talking about, or if you know. Um. If something else comes to play. Pr- I mean, the, the one thing we didn't mention was. Um. There was a report like very soon after. Gilio went off on WIP with his sort of great sources of information um, when uh, Rock Kubatko, that's his name, um, from uh, uh, massandsports.com, which is the Mid-Atlantic Sports Network that broadcasts the Orioles, um, he imme- almost immediately follows, like, a, I don't know, an hour later, said multiple sources with the Orioles say they don't have a deal done with the Phillies for Machado, and the Dodgers and Brewers are still involved. Told it's very close, but nothing has been agreed upon yet. So... I mean, you know, there's a lot still to happen. There's a lot of moving parts. All this stuff kind of really stays fluid. Teams kind of wait till the last possible minute and and say, um, there it's a game of chicken, and they're saying, okay, now we'll, now we'll now we'll up the ante if we really want them. So, like if the Dodgers or Brewers really want them, maybe they throw somebody in that they <laughs> hadn't agreed to you know do before, and and that would then beat the Phillies' offer. So who knows? Um so yeah until we really hear something i don't think that you're going to you know the fact that that Jillio's report was it's a done deal and they're just going to announce it wednesday morning it could could be right but i i like to think that these teams would probably say, uh, you know, let, let's let these other teams keep bidding. I mean, I like, you know I, what, whatever
1: the outcome is, I just, it, it, Machado said it today. Uh, he did his press conference with the head of the all-star game. He says, I, I just want it to be resolved soon. I don't want this thing to go to July 31st. And and that's, we're already there. Like I've reached the point after uh, about yep. five solid days of Manny Machado talk where I'm like, just do something, whatever it's going to be, like just let it be. and And then we can move on. But, uh, it's going to be an interesting 15 days. We still have two more weeks of trade deadline talk. I so. know, I know. I feel like we've been, I
0: feel like we've been looking at this for six weeks, and yeah. it, we still have two full weeks. Well, you left, know what? So. I do
1: feel better about. We were, we were talking. I remember after like a pretty good week, they had like the third or fourth week of the season. I said, if they can just sustain this start a little bit longer, they're going to add at the trade deadline. And I remember you kind of being like, "Well, you're getting a little ahead of yourself, there, pal." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, but you know, here we are. Here we know? are. So we This is what we wanted. This is what we hoped for, and uh, this is where we're at. So it's good stuff Um, it is so we recorded uh russ and uh, myself recorded a uh, phillies based um crossing broadcast uh, this morning that was released on monday morning this episode will uh, go out tuesday morning hopefully ahead of the uh a.m commute um and then i don't know what the rest of the uh, crossing um Broadcast schedule will be for the remainder of the week. We will likely return uh, if, in fact, the Machado deal does uh, get executed and he ends up here in Philadelphia.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll do something. we'll do, even if it's not an hour and twenty minutes, we'll yeah, we'll throw together yeah, a little. Know, we'll give you a, a little, you know, half
1: hour reaction to it or something. Welcome, like that.
0: welcome Manny Machado to Philadelphia deal. Yeah, yeah we'll so throw one of those together.
1: Definitely stay tuned for that. um And then you had the World Cup final yesterday. Uh, France right I think France won they beat Croatia is that right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think yeah so uh, yeah. I don't know you can listen to uh it's uh, Viva Viva, but, Viva <laughs> La France yeah what well, we have it's uh Crossing Broad FC Phil Kaidel and uh Russ Joy will talk about that and then you have it's always soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid uh, who does a good job with the Sixers stuff uh as well a- anything else Anthony Snow the goalie, snow the goalie, right? Yes, of course. Do you have a, an episode coming up soon? Uh, something we like had, we a potential had guest
0: or we had one. We had one this past week that went up, uh, uh, went up on Thursday, uh, and we're still uh, talking about doing something here. We're going to do one again this week, whether the guest is joining us this week or not. We have not confirmed just yet, but uh, as soon as I as soon as I know something, we will. As soon as I have something finalized, I will say something. But um, yeah, we'll have another snow the goalie podcast this week. Very good. So there you go.
1: Anything so else? So that's it. Yeah, that's oh. it. Yeah, no, all right. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us. Uh, what what, are we, what s- do we have s- to s- tell Since readers? you decided, s- I don't since know. You I just kind of got going. I was fired up. I'm awake. We're yeah. doing this on Monday night at 6.45 p.m., not 12.45 a.m. <laughs> I have some juice <laughs> right. tonight, man.
0: I got <laughs> yeah, you carried did, away. And, and, you, and you took over my role oh, taking, oh, uh, doing the sign-off oh, stuff. Right, what so this out here. I figured I'd just let you go. I figured I'd just let you go. Go ahead, do it. Twitter handles. Go ahead.
1: What do we have? Uh, Anthony, Anthony Bob, 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 Bob. just Anthony take it over. San Filippo uh, at Aunt San Philly, right? Uh, and uh yep. you can follow him on Twitter there and you can follow me at BW Crossing Broad. Uh, make sure that you subscribe to uh, all of our podcasts on the Crossing Broad Network and be sure to leave a five star rating. How about that? And a review. And a review. Don't forget to review. We've actually got quite a few five-star ratings for this episode, by the way, and we would appreciate if you have not already done so that you throw us one. Uh, Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we will talk to you likely later this week.